Welcome to Burning the Couch with Pim and Michaela. Although we are licensed therapists, please note that information in this podcast should not replace psychotherapy, clinical supervision, or be taken as legal or medical advice. Privacy is important to us, so all people, places, and scenarios mentioned in this podcast have been changed to protect client confidentiality. Also, we don't condone literally burning your couch. And a special thanks and shout out to C-Cop Studios for the awesome music we're using in this podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Burning the Couch with Pim and Michaela. Today, our episode, we're focusing on uh, telehealth interventions. And so we thought this would be really relevant for a lot of therapists and a lot of people who are providers doing their services virtually. Yeah. Um, Michaela, have you done telehealth before COVID? Because I haven't really. Yeah, I I have. Um, It wasn't typically my preference. (laughs) Uh, Usually it was something that came up if a client couldn't make it in, there was a medical condition, something like that would would come up. And the practice that I worked at actually was pretty ahead of its time, I would say. They really wanted everyone to be set up for virtual sessions. The thought behind that is I was working in DBT, so if you miss sessions, too many sessions, you're out, right? And a lot of times people couldn't necessarily make it. So there was a little bit of adjustment here and there doing virtual stuff. Uh, But again, that wasn't like, I obviously would way rather see my client in person. Yeah, me too. Um, But unfortunately, this is the world that we live in now. But I I don't think it's, it's not too bad. I, I would say, at least for me, I feel like the harder ones would be working with younger clients. But when it comes to older children, teens and young adults, I mean, it's, it's not too hard. Um, you know, that being said, I, I do think in a way it, it does like give, like it's a give and take, like there, there's some good things and there's some bad things, right? The pro would, I think would be that we can access more people, Um, We can reach more people who might not be able to make it in or people who live really, really far out um, and it would take them an hour to get to the city center. Um, It's also during this time, I think it's good for being able to get people help when we can't meet face to face. I think the con comes from, I don't know if, if you felt this when you've done telehealth, but for me, it takes away the human aspect of therapy a little bit. It feels different when your client is behind a screen and you're behind a screen, especially when the client is going through something really tough or we're just being really vulnerable in session. And I feel like my inclination is to lean in and to give them that warmth, but I can't. I mean, there are still ways like through the screen and with my little ones, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I'm giving you a virtual hug or something like that because they, they're used to giving me hugs in session. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's a, there's pros and cons. Right. And 
I mean, even for us, because obviously we'd rather be filming this in person, but because of, you know, the global pandemic going on, we're social distancing. But even before we started this, you know, we're filming and I'm like, oh my gosh, where do I look? I'm like looking at you, but then it doesn't look like I'm looking at you. Uh, having a reminder of, yeah. you know, showing that eye contact, even looking at the camera every now and then can, it translates differently, right? So just yeah. being aware of those like little nuances that, again, we're not prepared for <laughs> necessarily. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this episode isn't necessarily about confidentiality, uh, telehealth practice, privacy laws, anything like that. It's more going to be about how do we adapt our mindset and adapt our interventions uh, suited for telehealth because I had to really adapt as well, especially when working with kids. You know, I can't play certain games and I can't really sustain their attention as long as I used to. And so, you know, this is going to be geared towards how do we adapt ourselves as therapists and how do we help our clients adapt to telehealth as well. So one of the first things that I want to talk about is creating a safe space, both for yourself and to invite your clients to do so as well. What I mean by that is take a look at what your office looks like. Do you usually light a candle? Do you usually have a diffuser? Are, are the I know I have mine, but you know, so. I'm pointing to my candle. Everyone. <laughs> I, I intentionally put that on right now for this video. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're listening to the podcast version, Michaela has a candle lit behind her. Um, I do that for my sessions as well. I have a blanket on my lap. Usually um, I'll have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. I'll have my candle and Usually in my office, I always have scented lotions anyway. It's like a self-soothing thing um, for myself or for my clients. So I have all these things set up just so that I'm, you know, recreating that space for myself to get myself in the mood. I'm doing air quotes um, for the podcast listeners. So I ask my clients to do the same thing as well. Find a private space where you won't be bothered get yourself comfortable, get a blanket for little ones. You know, they, if they have a little tent go in there, if they have uh, their stuffed animals, bring those with them just so that they can feel safe and, and recreate the space that they would get in the clinical setting. Yeah. I think that's a good point is to be so mindful of what's going on in our own, in our place in our home office, as well as for our clients' safe space. Um, and being aware that your clients might be really interested in what's in your home, right? Yeah. Uh, so this could be an opportunity for rapport building, right? Like I'm sure you've shown your kiddos, your puppy, right? Yes. And they've showed you their pets and their family members, anything like that. It's a really kind of cool way that you can connect, but just being aware of what is in your background and people are going to be looking, right? Yeah. Looking. Yeah. And the other important part is getting yourself in the telehealth zone. I guess. So getting yourself in the mindset, take five, 10, 15 minutes to 
whether it's finishing up notes, checking emails, or just doing some mindfulness practice and really getting yourself in the headspace because when you're at home, you don't really have uh, that physical barrier between like getting out of your car and going unlocking the door and going into your office and then this is therapy me. You know, you're you're literally in your own house and and I have to do that for myself because you know, I need to almost get into this mood of like, okay, I'm a therapist now and this is who I am as a therapist. I need to get into the mind frame of um, thinking about what I'm going to say to my clients, what are we working on today, what interventions am I pulling, where do we leave off. And so whether it's reading, some therapists really like to read their uh, progress notes from the week before to see what they are working on and remembering what they talked about. You can do that. Or for me, usually I'll just get in the zone by reading a couple of emails and then um, pulling whatever work that we left off last week and preparing for that. Yeah. I think the routine has been so thrown off too. Cause for me, you know, I get in the car and I play some sort of aggressive music on the way to work. <laughs> and once I get to the Does office, that help? Like, do you need to listen to <laughs> aggressive music before you talk to clients? <laughs> no, no. I think it just, uh, it pumps me, more like not inspirational, but just something to pump me up. Right. So something that's like intense and, and, I don't know, energetic. So it gets me pumped like, okay, wake up, we're going to work. And, Mm. you know, that routine of like getting in your car, playing some, some fun music and being prepared for session. It's like, okay, well, I don't have that now. So maybe I do some mindfulness. Maybe I, you know, it's, it's a little hard for me to like play music because my husband also works from home, but <laughs> right. <laughs> Finding something to get you like in work mode. Yeah. 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 And on that note, I also love scheduling my clients back to back. I I feel like that helps a lot um, because I think if I were to schedule clients, like maybe with a 15 minute, half hour gap or even a bigger gap than that, then I tend to like lose focus. Then I'm looking at what is my dog doing? You know, uh, do I need to start cooking dinner? Do I have to do laundry? And I'm just getting so distracted with everything else at home that I have to do. And I think it helps create a good work home balance for me. If I were to schedule all my clients back to back, then at a certain time, say for me right now, it's 9am to 2pm or 3pm, but that will be shifting soon with uh, school coming back. So after 3pm, I'm no longer doing notes, no longer doing emails, no longer seeing clients. I'm shifting gear to being at home. So for me, scheduling back to back works. I think that helps with, um, you know, we've had supervisors that are like, leave your shit at the door, <laughs> right? Yes. Well, we're, we haven't left, right? We're, this is the same door. So <laughs> it's create, the same damn door. Yeah. So helping create some sort of schedule or routine, uh, would be really helpful again, just to like separate the two worlds. Yeah. I also change some of the like I'm more flexible with client schedules as well in terms of 
you know, how long I'm seeing them for because I have certain kids who are six years old, cannot sustain any attention for more than 30 minutes. <laughs> and we might have to switch from hourly, you know, sessions to half an hour sessions. And maybe it's going to look like half an hour sessions twice a week rather than one hour sessions every week. Or it could be, you know, one hour sessions every other week instead of every week. How working that out, it's not going to look the same way that it used to look. I definitely had maybe three or four clients who went down from weekly one hour sessions to half hour sessions because that's as much as I can like sustain their attention for. Right. I mean, even in-person sessions, sometimes we have to adjust for the little ones. They can't do 45 minutes an hour. Sometimes it Mm -hmm. is 30 minutes. And if we have the flexibility and scheduling, uh, if you can make that happen, then that's helpful. Yeah. Do you want to jump into interventions? Let's do it. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. So... We're going to split it up into children, teens, and adults. And of course, keep in mind that you might be practicing from a different modality. You might not be, you know, using the same methods as we are. But all in all, these are just some ideas that you can adapt no matter what modality you're using, can adapt and use these things with your clients. So the first one with kids, I love, love um, using puppets or using stuffed animals. I actually have, I don't have them with me and I don't want to wear them, but I do have Star Wars helmets and I have like Mickey ears, mini ears that I got from Disneyland, you know, several different colors. Sometimes it just is to help them like pay attention (laughs) to what I'm saying. And I let them choose like, do you want Darth Vader today or do you want Stormtrooper today? <laughs> and I'll put on whatever helmet it is or the Mickey ears. And then, you know, so they have something to look at and they, they're they like, oh, this is funny. And I will I might say something in like a Darth Vader voice or like say like as in a Stormtrooper and we do therapy that way. Um, it's so funny because I've probably left my room while my husband's in the living room like with a Darth Vader helmet on before. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I like doing that. Or I also use stuffed animals or puppets. I have, so for those of you that are listening to us, you might not be able to see it, but I have these Tsum Tsums that I got from the Disney store. I, one of them, um, one of the sets are inside out ones, which I love. I think that should be every therapist's favorite movie. So, yeah, if you haven't seen that, then yes, you have to. So you have homework. <laughs> have all these zoom zoom. So there's disgust, there's joy, fear, sadness, and anger, as well as Bing Bong, because we can't forget Bing Bong. He's my favorite. Those are so, so cute. I know, I love them. Oh my gosh, so. I want some of those just for myself. <laughs> so I, you know, we I would bring this on and show it. Oops. Uh, show it in front of the camera and talk to my clients about their feelings or their emotions or, you know, which character are you feeling like today? Or if you could talk to sadness, what would you say? And I put sadness like in front of uh, the camera or, you know, if you could talk to your anger, what would angry anger say back? And so I like that using the, the inside out characters. That's really cool. 
And I have some other silly ones. Like I have my Star Wars ones, of course. Um, and that's just like for fun or just to get their attention. I'm like, oh, look at this. Look over here. No, look over here. <laughs> look at me. We're still on therapy. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's super um, cute. I, I love those ideas. I think, you know, some of those things we would do in regular session, right? Exactly. So what can you adapt and translate? What would translate for the camera as well and have yeah. similar effect, right? And you actually, because I know you work more with kids than I used to work a lot with kids. Um, however, now it's more just teens and adults, but you work with a lot of kids and you even do board games, right? How do you do board games for telehealth? So <laughs> it's various ways. The first way is I just see what games they have at home. So the first week when we started telehealth, I did almost like a toy haul with my clients. <laughs> I asked them like, okay, what toys do you have at home? Because my clients are already super, super excited to show me their room and show me their toys and show me what they have at home. So, you know, I, I'm already getting familiar with what resources they have. So they'll show me like, oh, I have all these action figures. I have uh, the stuffed animals and, and these board games. So they'll pull out whatever board games they have. And I actually, the first week when I started telehealth, I went to the office and grabbed all the things that I thought could be used or adapted to telehealth to my house. And so, you know, if let's say one of the clients has Battleship and I also have Battleship, then that's an easy game that you can play together. Uh, yeah. You know, we played shoots and ladders as well. So we'll each have a spinner and we'll spin it and we'll move. And then what I do is sometimes I have them put the camera on the board and I'll put my camera on the board and make sure they're not cheating. <laughs> you know, the little ones, they always cheat. Um, so that's kind of how I adapted or there's also tons of different websites out there that where you can play board games uh, with your clients, whether it's Uno or Candyland and whatnot. We can put the link uh, in our podcast and also on YouTube. There, I think one of them is, I might be saying the name wrong, but it's Tabletop virtual tabletop or something like that. Okay. I think you need a subscription, but you can do that. You can also just pay for your own subscription. And if your uh, telehealth platform does screen sharing, you can screen share too. And I've, and that's a third way. So I also sometimes screen share a printout or a picture of a certain game with my client and if they have a pair of dice or, or if they trust me rolling the dice for them, then we'll play it that yeah. way. And then we can kind of move the cursor along or something with, with the screen share method. Now I have a question. I just out of curiosity, cause it sounds like some of this does take a little bit of planning ahead of time. Right. And how much of the, how much or how often are you needing to kind of like, Hey parents, um, we're doing a game today. Can you help get us set up or right? Is that part of, I guess, depends on the age as well, but is that something that is yeah. part of this? So it, it depends on the age. If they're a lot younger, I always do a check-in with the parents in the room anyway, for the first five to 10 minutes of the session. And, Got you know, it. 
if the client, then I'll be like, oh, okay, little Johnny, what would you like to work on today? And it's like, oh, I want to play Battleship. Then, you know, okay, mom, can you, or dad, can you grab Battleship? Or sometimes I'll have mom and dad or whoever the caregiver is, because sometimes I have um, grandparents taking care of the kids too. I'll ask, uh, I'll have the client go ahead and, okay, why don't you go grab grandpa and have grandpa bring this over so that we can do it. Like sometimes it's spontaneous, but there's always a caregiver nearby anyway. So you don't necessarily always have to plan, but for the little ones, I always have parents, um, kind of in the room for a check-in already. And then usually before starting telehealth, if it's a younger client, I, you know, if if it's an individual case and not a family case, I kind of tell parents already about how to set them up. So making sure they have water in the room or a light snack if they get hungry, because sometimes we, (laughs) or like regulation issues, we need to do like exercises or jumping jacks or whatnot. So yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's another another thing to consider too is like especially for the active ones or you know the kiddos that have hard time maintaining attention or impulse control. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I used to do in session, right? Red light, green light, with um, with kids and or have a dance party or yes. you know make Free it dance. fun. Uh, Simon says is always a really good one that, you know, you can, you guys can do it with each other virtually and super easy. You don't need any equipment kind of thing. Uh, but I think if, you know, you can adapt some of the games and get it set up and that's awesome. Yeah. We screen share a lot of videos as well. So Disney has uh, Zenimation, which is a bunch of, video clips from famous movies where they remove the, you know, the, I guess the actors voices. Um, and it's just the sound effects and the background music and it's perfect for mindfulness. So I would screen share that and my clients, you know, would do it with me, practice the mindfulness with me. Sometimes they'll be like, Oh, that's from Zootopia or that's from beauty and the beast. And, Sometimes we'll do other videos as well. Like there's a lot of trivia on YouTube. So if you Google like Disney tunes trivia or Disney movie trivia, you know, they'll play like a five second clip of something and have the client name it. Those can be good. You can do it for a variety of things that can be used for mindfulness or it can be used for like inattention. If you're working on um, like, and attention issues, focus issues, ADHD type symptoms. It can also just be like rapport building. Yeah. I, yeah. I think uh, this is a good, this is good stuff. I mean, a lot of the stuff we can adapt and you, you and I actually did a conjoint session like years ago and we played charades, I think. Was <laughs> yes. it charades? I'm like, it was charades. Oh you know, like, I'm sure there's a way to adapt to that, right? Uh, so, oh my gosh, I was just kind of flashing back to that session because that was so fun. But I think this is some good stuff and hopefully people are getting some ideas, right? Even if it's not exactly how we've done it, but <laughs> get an idea of like, oh, actually, I used to do that. I could totally adapt it. Yeah, it just takes a lot of creativity and 
have your clients help out. You know, I, there are sessions where like I have nine and 10 year olds saying, I'm bored. I don't know what to do. This is boring. I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? How can we make this more fun? Should we play dress up? Like maybe you give me a theme and I'll wear something and I give you a theme and you put on a different set of clothes or we can play pretend in another way. Can we, I've made a fort before with my client where I put a blanket over the computer and they put a blanket over their computer. <laughs> like it just, it takes a lot of creativity, but don't forget that you can also ask them, especially when they're kids, like, well, how can we make this more fun for you? What can we right. do? What would you like to do? And that's what I'm creative. Yeah. And that's what I've done. I created an entire new board game with one of my 11 year olds. Uh, we came up with the rules. We like, and she had ideas and I'm like, dang, these are, this could be a really good game. You should take these ideas with you. Yeah. Um, but that part could be a therapeutic process too, of creating something together, doing, creating an activity together, something like that. Yeah. Cause they have ideas. They do. And honestly, my kids are way more creative than I am. (laughs) So let's talk about, oh, I know. Let's talk about teens. So this activity, I would say I use with both teens and with children. It's Mm -hmm. called the scavenger hunt. There's tons out there. If you Google and Pinterest, Pinterest is like my new best friend for telehealth. I find tons of ideas from other providers on there, or even teachers. Teachers post a lot of things that you can adapt and use for therapy too. Mm -hmm. So we do a scavenger hunt a lot and that's, you know, sometimes we take turns. So I'll come up with certain things for the clients to find and, and I'll screen share, I'll show the word document, or you can also just say it to your client as well. But I like screen sharing with my little ones so they can like Um, practice reading and seeing it on the screen and follow that way too. But it'll be something like, you know, bring me something that makes you proud or bring me something that brings back a good memory. The common one that I've been throwing out there because of COVID is bring me something that reminds you of someone you miss or bring me something that reminds you of school that you can also throw some deeper things too, like bring me something that has a negative memory to it or bring me something Mm -hmm. that makes you sad. Um, And I like to take turns as well. So my client doesn't some, I mean, some clients are totally good with just give me the next thing. Like, you know, and sometimes I'll time them as well. So you have like 30 seconds to find something pink or or give you, you know, a minute. You throw some fun ones in there too. And then you sneak in those heavy ones. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But every now and then, like for clients who maybe are not as open, you know, i to build rapport. I'm like, I'll show you the things I have too, you know, and they'll say like, well, show me something that's unique or show me something that's fluffy. And, you know, I'll have to scrounge around my house. And my husband has seen me like walk out of the room and just like looking for random things. And he's probably just thinking to himself like, oh, there's, she's doing play therapy again. (laughs) (laughs) That's too funny. So scavenger hunt is really fun. It's, it's, can be used with both teens and children with, with teens, you know, you can throw a little more deeper ones there. And I have my teens, uh, show me some pretty nifty things that they have at their house. And it gives you an idea of what their life really looks like. 
Yeah, I like that. I like all of these ideas. And that kind of brings me to uh, one of the things that I've done in person, and this could be very easily done, somewhat similar concept of finding things throughout your house, but creating a self-soothe kit, right? And most of the time, that's homework that I send is you got to go home, and this could be for teens, adults, even kids. You might need a little more help from the parents for this one. But it's all about going and finding stuff that you already have at home that can help you self-soothe when you're in distress, right? So anything that would target your five senses, whether it be your favorite candle or your favorite lotion or uh, a piece of chocolate or Mm -hmm. a piece of gum, you know, anything like that that's going to target all of your senses, uh, in mine, I always have I, I have my own personal self soothe kit as well, but I always have like glazed lemon loaf tea because that is super oh, comforting and good. it smells. I amazing. had that at your house. <laughs> yeah, it's the Tazo lemon loaf glazed lemon loaf tea, and if you're craving, it's not super sweet or anything, but that is in my self soothe kit. So, or or you know maybe a soft blanket, something like that, and you can help them along the way in session, create this kit, right? So again, that could be for anybody. Yeah. Um, with teens, I, Michaela, since you did a lot of DBT, are there any mindfulness activities that you think can be adapted to telehealth? Yeah. I mean, there's tons of mindfulness types of activities, whether it be for teens, kids, or adults. I've done a lot of times I would do the same activities in the adult groups or with my adult clients as I did with my my younger clients. Um, You know, there's obviously some of the obvious where you can do guided stuff. You can do progressive muscle relaxation, those types of exercises, but you can also do more interactive ones as well, kind of more, um, participatory, if you will. Yeah. I was wondering if you had an idea for more, I guess, interactive things. Yeah. You you, you can find guided meditations on YouTube. You can find that's the obvious. They're they're everywhere. But I was wondering if you had any like unique ones, maybe that, yeah, maybe our listeners haven't heard of. One that I would like really doing is it's called first letter, last letter. And so you can do it with animals, you can do it with names, you can kind of do it with anything. And the idea is if I said lion, right, I would have to, the next person or- Narwhal. Exactly. You would have to say (laughs) something that starts with the last letter of the word that I said. And so that may seem kind of simple right right off the bat. However, it it gets more difficult and you can't repeat, right? So- While you're doing that activity, I mean, this would also be something to kind of prep your client on beforehand and have a discussion after, but talking about what came up during that activity, what body sensations were you experiencing? What emotions were you experiencing? Did you have judgments, right? Maybe um, I think something that comes up a lot is like, oh my gosh, it took me so long to think of one. You know, I paused and I, I didn't have one right away and, and I, you know, I thought that was bad. I, I just wanted to have it on the top of my head or I was trying to plan ahead maybe, right? Those kinds of things and noticing what comes up in those moments. 
So really kind of attuning to your, your body sensations. That's a fun one. I like that. Yeah. And I, I do that with adults too. <laughs> um, so that's one that I really like. Uh, you know, obviously you can listen to music and you can make that a mindfulness. Um, one that I actually, I cannot take credit for because my colleague taught me this and I call her, um, I call her my mindfulness guru, but uh, Tamara, a coworker of mine, she taught me this really cool activity. I, I do it with teens and with adults, um, but basically you take a piece of paper and you draw a circle and it doesn't matter what kind of circle, how big, how, it just draw a circle, right? And what you're going to have them do is they're going to anchor to either the sensation of drawing the circle with holding their pin, or they can anchor to maybe the sound that it makes. And they are going to go over and over and over that same circle. They're going to trace that circle. Okay. And I said it for a pretty good amount of time, like, you can do it for like three to five minutes maybe, and it seems like forever. And I'll do it with them as well. And if noticing, if I get pulled away from that sensation, either the sound or, or the sensation of drawing the circle, if there's a noise or something happens outside in the environment that distracts me and pulls me away, I'm going to make a tick on the outside of the circle right? Really like heightening that awareness. And if something internally, like a thought or a body sensation or a judgment that I may have comes up, I'm going to make a tick on the inside of the circle, right? So it's kind of making this. And the whole time they're just like, yes. And they'll continue the circle over and over and over. Exactly. Um, for me, when I first did this, I was like, you know, oh, I, I got offline, I, you know, and I had a judgment. I'm like, oh, man, I messed up, right? And I have to notice that and mark it. So, again, you know, if, if you're not used to bringing a lot of mindfulness into sessions, kind of like under having a basic understanding of of mindfulness and the internal things, the external things, bringing yourself back to an anchor, that would be really helpful. But this is kind of a way that you could do it. This would be easy easy to do virtually, right? Um, And it's kind of interesting to see like, oh, wow, I was so distracted. And because when we do a practice, we don't necessarily think like, oh, gosh, I, you know, was pulled away so many times. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I get pulled away and it's harder for me to come back. This kind of makes it a little more tangible in my opinion. So right now I I'm just starting, like my wheels are turning and I'm starting to think this could be really good in group practice too. Cause I run a group and I can have everybody grab a piece of paper and a pen and do this activity together. And it can also, I feel like, I don't know if it would take the purpose away from being non-judgmental, but you can even like do it every other session or every two, three sessions and then compare and see, you know, how it looked before versus now. And I'm just like getting all these more, creative ideas in my head. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, for me, I mean, we've both done some yoga classes in our day and some days my balance would be right on mm-hmm. and some days 
would be super off. And that's kind of how I feel about mindfulness, right? Right. Sometimes I have a very busy mind and other days I'm like, gosh, I was only pulled away a couple of times. So just kind of like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can't take credit for that. Tamara, (laughs) she's, she's a genius. Um, She's my mindfulness guru, but there's a lot of stuff like that. Um, you know, a lot of games, you can create a story, right. With like two or three words and build off of that and create, make that a mindfulness exercise. Right. And then talk about what came up for, for you. So I also have one that I wanted to share. Um, it's the tree of life from narrative therapy. So I've actually, done this with one of my teens where we each created a tree of life and I made one uh, as a sample. So you can Google a picture of a tree or you can draw your own for our listeners. You can search tree of life, narrative therapy, and I'm pretty sure you'll be able to find it. You know, pretty much each part of the tree signifies a certain part of that person's life. So The roots are usually the things that uh, are considered your background, your heritage, where are you from, uh, where did you live, what grounds you, then, you know, you'll have the trunks of your characteristics, things that you stand for, you have your um, branches, you know, the things that you want or your hopes, you have leaves, so it could be like people that have influenced you or people that are part of your life and then fruit things that you've learned or gifts that you've received from other people and then storms could be your challenges so yeah that's like uh, almost a good assessment like something to do earlier mm -hmm. on as well yeah I've done this earlier on in the beginning and I've also done this as like a beginning and end in therapy as well and to kind of see because I've created multiple tree of life's um, drawings throughout like my therapy training programs and with, with clients and stuff. And they're different every time because the fruits might be different. The branches might be different. The way that I view myself might be different. The people mm-hmm. that I've considered roots could be different. There could be different storms. So for our YouTube followers, you can probably see it. Um, this is what mine looks like. So I've got, <laughs> obviously 2020 is a <laughs> cloud and that's a challenge that I'm dealing with. And then my husband's upcoming deployment as well. So that's, you know, a tree and you can create this multiple ways. You can actually just the easiest way, which is just to grab a piece of paper and you can screen share and show your client, you know, whatever, what each thing signifies and they can do that or your client can draw it on the computer. I've had a client who's very tech savvy. So she opened a like app on her computer and just screen shared with me and drew it on her computer. So you can do it multiple ways, but that's again, it's something that you typically do in therapy anyway. And it's just adapting it to doing it over the screen. Yeah. Awesome. I, that's a really cool idea. I think it might be good for, I've heard of things similar to that, but, um, like different versions. Right. Yeah. But I think just even just art in general, if your client has the supplies and you know, it's not going to be like a glittery mess where parents are upset, (laughs) but 
You know what I mean? Like you can do mindful coloring. You can do yeah. you can you know, do art the DBT house. You can do that as well. Yeah. So there's so much you can do, you know, and I think breaking out the whiteboard is really important too for just anyone and everyone. If you can't do a screen share or something like that, if you have a whiteboard, I think that would be pretty easy to like reflect. Yeah. And I use um, a whiteboard normally anyway in session, same. in person, you know, when I'm trying to show my client a concept or I use metaphors a lot in therapy. And so my clients are used to me using metaphors. And so sometimes when I'm explaining a concept or I'm running a group, I always pull a whiteboard. So why not just bring it with me and do it at home too? Yeah. Um, Anything else you have that's like would be specific for maybe teens or anything for adults? Um, with teens, not so much. I I would say in terms of how much I prep, I think with teens a lot less than I do with kids because they're more talkative and they do talk a little more. You know, you don't need to continuously try to grab their attention or play games with them. <laughs> they can do talk therapy for the most part. They can do talk them. therapy for the most part, yeah. And I think that's the same thing, you know, with adults. It's probably even less because you're not necessarily doing activities or, you know, things where you're having to try and maintain attention like you are with little ones. So it's a little bit easier um, but I think you can still make it interactive, right? Some of those tried and true interventions, right? Like role-playing or role-playing mm-hmm. conversations with adults. Um, one thing that I do a lot is, in session is we practice validation, right? Whether I'm working with couples, which I don't work with too often, but if I'm working with couples or maybe parents uh, or a family, right? We are working on validation and obviously giving them understanding of what that means and what that can look like. But then we practice it. You know, I was working with, I've worked with many parents and we'll go around the room and I'll just make a statement. And one of them's going to, we're the the other two are going to have to try and validate me in some way. And they can be very like blanket statements like, gosh, I'm hungry. Right. (laughs) Like, it could be as simple as that and having them practice and, you know, we'll go around the room. Then the next person will say something and I can, this is also an opportunity for me where I can model what it would look like, what validation could look like. Right. And yeah. provide the other partner or the other um, parent, maybe some like guidance on that. Right. How would you validate that statement? Right. Pick low, play low a first, lot. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I play a lot with my teens as well. And so I see a lot of young adults too, especially, you know, with COVID, a lot of my young adults are having a real hard being home from college or losing out on their freshman college experience and having to relive with their parents. So we do some exercises together as well one of the things that I've done with my clients is uh, letter writing. So I've had my clients uh, screen share and show me their letter or read their letter to me. Uh, I've had clients who are like, can you just like look at the, this letter that I typed out um, on my computer and, you know, read it for me, see what you think about it. 
And so I've had, I've done those with my clients. We've done like mindful eating together as well. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone's eating in session from what oh, I hear. Yeah. Like everyone's yeah. just like trying to eat in session. So mindful <laughs> eating is like a great, great opportunity. Yeah. And I've had, I think with my young adults too, we've talked a lot about, you know, just what similar to, I guess, similar to children and teens, like what does your surrounding look like? You know, what do you have in your room that brings you joy and brings you happiness? And what are the resources that you have where you're living now, Uh, especially if they're at their parents' house in their old high school room versus their college dorm? What are the differences there? So it's very similar. I would have to say that in my experience, at least for young adults, I have to be I have to remind them, like, are you in a place where this session can be confidential, can be private? You know, are, are your roommates going to walk in? I've had clients, roommates, like walk in and out of their room before and, you know, or they're in the patio and their roommate didn't know they were doing therapy there. So in terms of privacy, like I have to just make sure. And, and I've had some adult clients do therapy in their car because that's the only place they can find privacy. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm wondering if you have any mm, for maybe therapists who are not as tech savvy or if this is like a very huge shift for a lot of people, right? Even I'm not, mm-hmm. even I have a hard time setting up my Zoom and like, I don't yeah. like it, right? And so, would there be anything you would say to those in the helping professions who are using Zoom or some other form of telehealth um, who are maybe struggling and frustrated with the shift? Honestly, before I, so I would consider myself a pretty tech savvy person in general, but before I even started doing telehealth with my clients, I had a couple practice ones with my friends, uh, not telehealth, but just like Zoom sessions with my friends or the other available programs out there. And where I work, you know, we're in a group practice. So we use like two other platforms before and we even held like, you know, practice ones within our group. We did consult meetings in it. We practiced sending each other files. We practiced screen sharing just so that we worked out all the kinks and we knew how to use it before we started doing it with clients. So I, I feel like that's probably one of the best ways to go about it is to do like Zoom calls with your friends or if you have consult calls, then practice sharing things, practice like finding out where the mute is, finding out where you know, yeah, we all that. found out where the mute is. <laughs> I, I hope so. Find out where like the mic and the record button, all that stuff. And also be prepared to just for clients who don't know how to use it. There have been times when, you know, I I make sure now to have my clients like phone number handy or their parents' number handy just in case the call gets dropped or there's technical difficulties you know, there's been times where it's like, we can't figure it out. You know what? Can you talk on the phone without seeing me? Let's do a phone session and do it the old school way of just like talk on the phone. (laughs) And I've definitely had to do that before too. And again, like it's, 
it's not preferred, but you have to just roll with yeah. it sometimes. And so. there's been times where like the video doesn't sync with the audio, but I know my client can't sustain attention if we do audio only. So I had to call mom and be on the phone with mom. Mom put it on speaker. I muted my mic and then we still had the video going. So, oh, wow. So you're getting yeah. really, yeah. See, I mean, you're going to have, cause technical difficulties are going to happen. That's inevitable. Yeah. And I know there's lots of like trainings out there, like webinars and whatnot for telehealth. And they talk about privacy and HIPAA and all of that. But they also talk about like which platforms do a lot of therapists use. And, And to be honest, a lot of this was from word of mouth. You know, when we were all scrambling, like the end of March, trying to figure out telehealth, like all the therapists were just like, okay, what platform are you using? (laughs) And do you like it? And do you have any feedback about it? And we as a group practice over I am, we jumped through maybe two or three different platforms until we stuck with one because there were kinks. And for the most part, I think most clients are generally very uh, okay with that. They understand that this is new for all of us. This is the first time we're setting this up. So if you, they have to sign a new form or an updated form, or they have to download this other thing, like they're okay. They understand this is just the world that we live in. And all they want is just to be able to talk to you. Right. And thank goodness we have this this new way of doing things, right? And and we've talked a little bit about that in our COVID special about, you know, yes, we're adapting and and the field is is shifting, right? To be more technical and also what an opportunity, right? How mm-hmm. it's I'm just at least we can still do our job and still work and still see our clients, <laughs> yeah. right? So, um, well, at least most of us. So, um, yeah, stay, yeah. you know, hang in there and you're doing the best you can. Yeah. And, you know, if you guys have any other ideas, we'd love to hear from you if there's other, because I, like I said, I'm on Pinterest like every day trying to look for new ideas and new activities to do with my clients. So if you have any suggestions, tips, ideas, feedback, please, please let us know. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Burning the Couch. You can find us on YouTube or you can also just send us an email at btcpodcast at gmail.com. Actually, I think I said that wrong. Podcastbtc at (laughs) gmail.com. Did you say BTC podcast? Oh my gosh, now we're getting... I did say BTC podcast. So, well, this is reality. I'm zoomed out today. This is the last thing that I'm doing after a long day of telehealth. So (laughs) So pardon me for some self-care and to get off the computer. I'm giving my, I'm I'm forgiving myself for that. It's podcast BTC at (laughs) gmail.com. Well, all right, everyone. I hope this was helpful again. Like Kim said, if you have any other ideas or any other forms of interventions that you'd like to share I know we definitely want to know and I know our listeners are eager to figure out how to make telehealth work, especially for kids. Um, So please let us know and we'll see you next week. Mm